Morning, everybody. Duncan Green here with the <clears throat> roundup of links on, um, or rather, roundup of posts on From Poverty to Power. Um, you will not be surprised to hear that it's all about coronavirus, although I've now decided that it sounds cooler if you call it COVID. Um, uh, it's the, Every time I read anything on the internet which is not about COVID and the response to COVID and the unintended consequences of COVID, it just sounds really off and strange. So I basically said, we're just going to spend the um, uh, next week or two just writing about COVID. Um, personally, I'm in lockdown in my house in London, but I'm incredibly lucky in that the house is quite large. I've got a study. I've got a small garden, which gets a bit of sun in the mornings. So, you know, I am I am truly lucky compared to people with loads of small kids stuck in tiny flats uh, or, or in shanty towns around the world or whatever. So I think one of the maybe one of the uh, longer term consequences of, of this uh, lockdown is that people are going to be much more conscious of space as a human right, both private and public. It'll be interesting to see if that comes up the agenda as people emerge from this crisis. Um, beginning of the week, I was finding it really hard to concentrate on stuff. It was like you were just hopping from one social media outlet to another, just seeing what the latest was. Um, uh, my concentration kind of improved as I got used to this new life I lead of only leaving the house once a day. Um, and by the end of the week, I was writing a paper on COVID as a critical juncture, which I'll put something up on the blog next week. But I think we're going to organise a discussion on Zoom, get people to feed in ideas and so on, because a lot of people are talking around similar issues about the longer term political consequences of, uh, of this crisis. All right. On with the posts for the week. So the first one was links I liked, a whole bunch of stuff, some of it very alarming. But actually, one of the things that's quite striking is the amount of humour, gallows humour perhaps, but humour that's coming out. Uh, and I'm, I'm loving some of this stuff. And, and there was a brilliant piece of um, rewriting by Dana J. Bain, or Bine, not sure how to pronounce it. She took Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody and rewrote it for the coronavirus rhapsody. And the lyrics are great. Is this a sore throat? Is this just allergies? Caught in a lockdown, no escape from reality. Uh, the lyrics are great. Someone's put it to music. I didn't think they did a totally brilliant job, but it's, it still gives you the idea. So if you're into Queen or just into, into clever lyrics, go and have a look at that one. Second post of the week was uh, about the history of hand washing by Vanita Suneja of WaterAid in India. Um, and Vanita wrote about a Hungarian physicist called Ignaz Semmelweis. And Semmelweis was the guy in the 19th century who, who decided that one of the ways to reduce the number of women dying in childbirth in the big maternity wards in Hungary was for doctors to wash their hands. Uh, he said this and the doctors were outraged because they said, oh, no, it's much more complicated than that. How could such a trivial thing have an impact on health? So he was rejected then, but later he was recognised and named the saviour of mothers. And all of this predated the germ theory of disease. So I have no idea how he worked this out um, because Pasteur and, 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 so, and, Cohen, and so on were in the in the future. But a nice piece from Vanita just kind of capturing that, that uh, you know, and, and Semmelweis... Um, has been recaptured to such an extent that he was the Google Doodle just before the um, blog post went up, uh, which is the kind of modern sort of equivalent of um, global fame. Uh, the next post was by Mishi Singano, who's a, a feminist activist in Tanzania, works for Femnet. And um, 
I mean, she sent me a post and said, would you like to put this up? And it said, and it was making a very simple point. Look at global lockdown from the point of view of domestic violence. Here you are, where people have been told to stay in their homes. And in many places in the world, those homes are not safe for women. That's a very good, potent observation. Um, it, it struck a lot of chords, got a lot of interest on the, uh, on social media, because this is starting to emerge in all countries, north or south. And Mishi is saying, you know, that that you... The reporting, the control and the management of gender-based violence has got to be a core part of government responses. You can't say to people, go into lockdown and then just wash your hands. And in a way, what Mishi did was very much what I'm hoping to do with the blog generally over the next couple of weeks, which is all the media attention, understandably, is on what's going on in Italy, in Spain, in the UK, in America. Um, <clears throat> but I think we can we can make a useful contribution if we're talking about the impact on uh, developing countries and the poorest communities in developing countries, the response to the imp- to the impact in those countries and the unintended consequences such as gender-based violence. So if people have things they think are particularly relevant on that sphere, do you know, send me an email, drop me a line. Next post was similarly about um, a bit of a, a, a sort of um, deja vu moment. So the blog began in 2008, 12 years ago now, and it was right slap bang in the middle of the global financial crisis. So for the first few uh, months, yeah, perhaps first year, the response to the global financial crisis of 2008, that massive global meltdown and um, and its impact on developing countries was kind of one of the core themes of, on the blog. And in the light of the current economic crisis, which is actually, you know, if you look at in terms of things like capital flight from developing countries um, or collapse of GDP, what's going on now is much, much worse than the global financial crisis because it involves the shutdown of entire economies, essentially. A number of organizations have said, hang on a minute, that makes no sense to have debt relief for small businesses, debt relief for, you know, um, uh, in, in, in northern economies and not to talk about debt relief for developing countries. And a number of people have crunched the numbers on this, uh, and they all came out at the same time, so I put them together in a post. So Eurodad have calculated that if uh, a debt relief for for low-income countries can free up $50 billion over the next two years, potentially for COVID uh, relief and COVID response. Um, Scott Morris at the Centre for Global Development um, got a bit more nuanced and and set out some principles um, for this uh, debt relief effort, which I think are more cautious than the Eurodad just wipe it all off sort of approach. For example, he he makes an argument for excluding the international financial organisations like uh, the World Bank and the IMF, which are already working on this, um, and even excluding the private sector because negotiating a debt write-off with them would just delay the response and that the immediate thing is urgency. So, but there's clearly, so there's different nuances in this discussion, but lots of different organisations saying, look at debt relief. Yeah, Uh, and the IMF and World Bank have both said they're going to do this. Although David Malpass, the head of the World Bank, kind of spoilt it by saying, but we should impose loads of conditionalities on this debt relief, which is very unpopular, has been proved not to work and was a kind of definitely a step back. Then another bit of number crunching from the ODI is just pulling together the total size of economic stimulus package in, in I think, mainly OECD countries uh, and put it together on a website and the links in the, in the post. 
Um, the thing that struck me there is that the biggest economic stimulus so far uh, in terms of uh, national, yeah, relative to national income has been the UK with 19% of GDP in its stimulus package ahead of France, 14%. I don't, th- I don't know if that's changed now with the massive US um, uh, stimulus since, but it's certainly striking that a government, yeah, a conservative government is, is, is in the middle of this massive expansion uh, of state spending in, in the economy. Final post of the week. There's a really interesting uh, network of citizen journalists, I think, called Global Voices, which covers all sorts of random stuff. Really interesting. And sometimes you just get really new and interesting angles. And the the post on the last post of the week from Global Voices was on faith and science in Africa. Um, hold on. I've just realized that I'm not giving name checks to the authors of that piece. And I'm just going to get it up here so I can do it justice because that's not fair. Hold on a second. Here we are. So um, Amanda Lichtenstein, Rosemary Ajayi and Nwachukwu Egbunike um, are the authors of that piece. Um, And they, they are looking at the the clash between faith and science over the COVID response in a number of African countries, especially Tanzania, Nigeria and Ethiopia. Now, I've written very positively about faith and sometimes um, get into trouble for it uh, on the blog. Although I'm an atheist, I think faith is hugely important in development, especially if you think of it in terms of that Amartya Sen definition of freedoms to be and to do. Um, so I think Religion is an enormous part of freedoms to be and to feel and to, uh, you know, and to exist. Um, and in the current crisis, with people very anxious, locked away at home, clearly faith is going to be an enormous source of personal comfort, but also of community resilience. You know, congregations in particular are going to look after each other, look out for each other, look after their old people and so on. So there's lots of positives about this. But there are also some completely bonkers things going on with faith leaders in particular. Um, so the, the you know with with you've got people saying preachers saying as long as you believe the virus can't touch you and it's not just preachers the Tanzanian president Magufuli said corona is the devil and it cannot survive in the body of Jesus and at the moment I believe Tanzania is keeping its uh, places of worship open um, so that people can all congregate together uh, and worship disastrous in terms of disease transmission. Unless you believe that, you know, Jesus vaccinates as well as saves. So Easter is approaching and uh, that, yeah, that's always a huge time in the Christian calendar. And that's really, really worrying. If the, if the um, churches are open and heaving with people, that's going to turbocharge the spread uh, in, 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 in many African countries. But it's not just a Christian problem. So one Nigerian scholar, a scholar in, uh, um, has been warning authorities not to shut mosques in response to the crisis. Because Muslims are immune. Who'd have, who'd have thought it? Muslims are immune to COVID-19, to, to coronavirus. So I, I sort of went away from my customary um, positivity about religion and said, yeah, this is, this is deeply alarming. And um, when you've got the president of a country joining in with this kind of nonsense, you do really worry. And I'm not even going to make a comment about what's going on in the US. But it, um, OK, I'm going to make a comment about what's going on in the US. The more I look at the timeline and the more I you know, look at my social media and read what's going on in the US, it appears to be an extraordinary outlier in terms of an absolutely awful 
response to a crisis. It, you know, the level of acrimony, point scoring, um, the lack of a consistent uh, response. You know, you've got this ridiculous situation now where whether you believe in coronavirus follows party lines. I mean, just it's just so bad. And there's been a... Um, whereas they panic buy toilet rolls in Britain, which is crazy enough. In America, they're panic buying guns. And I dread to think where all this is going to lead. So on that gloomy note, sorry, it's hard to be positive, even though it's a lovely sunny day here in London and spring is out and the flowers are out. Um, there's some really worrying stuff going on in the world. OK, well, I suppose have a good weekend, uh, if, that, if I can say that. Bye. <laughs>